This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. My heart, my vision is to see a set of these books in every primary classroom in Australia because I think it's so important and they will change lives. I know they will. So that's my vision. We have a sponsor school program on our website. You can just sponsor some books that are posted to the school. We've kindly donated by, put their name on it. Maybe they don't want to be known, but I send them a letter anyway, just saying that this was donated by someone. And they can put it in the library, they can put it in their classroom. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. Zena Scambri is an awesome human in every way. She's the co-founder of At The Ark, a charity that supports families of children who have been abused. This is a cause very close to home for this brave woman having experienced domestic violence personally and together through her children in her previous relationship and household. Zena is a wife, author, qualified counsellor, pastor and mum of four adult children and stepmum of three adult children. Wow! The female trooper is an inspiration to families and children in reclaiming their warrior spirit. Love it, Zena, Princess Warrior. One of her life goals now is to help parents, carers, educators and others to understand the importance of teaching children self-protective behaviours. Today, she inspires and educates both adults and children living with abuse and to date has two book titles under her belt, including Broken to be Beautiful, as well as the children's book, Brave Little Bear. And she's holding them up, showing me at the moment. Zena wants to change the world for one person, then another, one at a time, until the world is changed. What an awesome human. I'm tingling. As I mentioned <laughs> to you before we start, I, I like not to know this stuff because then I can get a proper reaction. And wow is my <laughs> reaction to that. Congratulations. So how many books have we got? So I have four. Four books. Yeah. That's so exciting. It's uh, and one's a an adults book and the other's a kids books. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. So I have three book in a book series called Brave Little Bear. Okay. So um, so technically that's right. So it's four books. But yeah. It's four books. Or even so, one book in a series of books. That's even better. Yeah. Look at so that. So two are for children. One is for adults. Oh, in the Brave Little Bear. Yeah, and why the others are so important, and why it's so important to teach our children self protective behaviours. And then we've got the one adult book, which is... Which is your story. The story behind Brave Little Bear, why I'm so passionate about doing what I do. And that's where we're going to go today. We're Mm. going to talk all about you. So the whole idea of Awesome Humans is to talk all about you and we learn who you are, what you've been through, what you've done, and then what you're doing to change the world. And from the reading that intro, it's going to be an amazing story and I look so forward to it. First question I ask everyone, what's your first ever memory how far back can you go? Playing in the swimming pool when I was about three at my grandfather's house. Three? That's that's really good. A lot of people can't go earlier than five or six. And what, what do you remember because, about that? Well, probably because I've seen um, photos. Yeah. So it's kind of brought me back there. But um, what I remember is playing with my next door neighbour in an orange swimsuit. And that's all I can remember. So do you remember the thing or you remember it because you've seen the photo? No, or when I, you saw the photo, you went, oh, wow, I remember I that. I do remember that. That's right. That's probably more like it. And where was that? Where were you born? I was actually born in Cyprus. In Cyprus? I yeah. love Cyprus. Yeah, it's Great beautiful. Place. 
Yeah. I haven't been back there since I was 18 months old. But oh, but it is it's, a beautiful place. Yeah. Still nice. <laughs> I'd still love to go back there at some stage. And then where did you go from 18 months old? Um, I moved to the UK. Okay. Where uh, in the UK? Somerset. In Somerset? Yeah, Western Supermare in Somerset. Oh, very nice. And is that where you went to school? Yes, it is. And yeah. uh, how was school life? Tough. Tough? I was bullied a bit because yeah. um, I was shy. Um, I'm a Christian. Um, obviously being a pastor, so, um, and um, I had quite a strict upbringing. Okay. And so I wasn't allowed to go and do all the things all the other kids were doing, and so I found it very, very stifling, and, um, yeah, I was um, bullied a little bit. And why weren't you allowed? Uh, Is it the Christianity, do you think, was, or? Uh, no, not really, because other. Christian people could do some of the stuff we could. My mom was just very protective in certain areas. Yeah. So, yeah. And mum and dad or just mum or how, how did that all work? <laughs> so um, my real father, um, my mum left in Cyprus. He was okay. in the military in Cyprus um, and in a drunk, drunken stupor one day he beat up my mum and she ended up in hospital. Wow. He... We didn't realise this at the time, or my mum didn't realise this at the time, had a nervous breakdown. And so when she came out of hospital, he wasn't there, so she just packed up the house and came back to the UK. We went to live with my grandparents for the next five years, mm-hmm. where my mum met her second husband who adopted me. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah. And did you treat him as your dad? Did you know any different? Were you told about your original father? I think I always knew about my original father. I don't remember a time where they mm-hmm. sat me down and said, you are adopted. Um, but I've always, I think I've always known it. Yeah. Um, that we did have discussions about it as I grew up, but I always knew that there was another um, another father out there. And were you treated differently by your stepfather? Is that what you, the way you'd put it? Or your second father? I think I was. Um, I thought I was at the time, put it that way. Okay. Um, speaking to my sister since then, she, I don't think we were. I think I just had a perception that he treated me different. I never felt good enough for my real father to love. And my second father was very quiet, very shy. Um, he's very... Um, Oh, void, I suppose. Void, okay. Um, my mom did the parenting to all of us. Yeah. And he agreed and went along with it. Okay. Um, and so we, we, I kind of grew up like that, not really feeling good enough for my my stepdad to love, not really feeling good enough for my first dad to love. So I had this kind of identity issue where I just wasn't good enough. Well, you can also understand then why you're a quiet child and a little bit different. To the other kids. And you mentioned your sister. You were, you've you got other siblings? Yeah, so my mom and my stepdad then had two other children. So you're the eldest? I'm the eldest. Okay. So you think they were treated differently than what you were? Um, yeah, to a degree, to a degree. Um, my dad was always very close to my brother. Okay. Um, and he still is. He's probably closer to my brother than anybody else in the family is. So the golden child. My my family, like my brother, are way better than me. <laughs> I don't know about the golden <laughs> child. but <laughs> So you went to school uh, locally in, in Shropshire. 
Nope. No, Somerset. In, Somerset. I don't know why I said Shropshire. <laughs> it's in Somerset. And yep. then we went through uh, like primary school and things like that and then yep. high school there as well. Yep. And through that period, um, was it always the same? Were you always the, the different kid? Oh, no. oh, look, I'd say different. I mean, it's it wasn't like I was purposely like Cinderella. Oh, no, of course. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it wasn't anything like that. It was just I felt that he always loved my brother and sister a little bit differently to the way he loved me. Okay. And and maybe that's not actually the case. It might have been just perceptions. And and perception counts when yeah, you're a kid. It does. It, it does. Uh, goes a long way. Yeah. It goes a long way. Okay, so now we were in school and so in school were you a nerd? Were you a, a jock? What, what, how were you in school education-wise? Average. Average, just got on with it. Just got on with Went it. Went because you had to go. Yeah, hated every minute of it. <laughs> yeah. School. School. Well, school does suck. Well, I, I had a really good social life in school. So oh, did you? That was the reason I enjoyed it. No, I Not from the I had some really side. good friends. I had one good friend who's good, still a good friend. Yeah. She's still one of my closest friends. Is she still in England? Yes, she is. So you, did you go to university afterwards? No. Did you get a job? I actually went, well, I had a bit of a identity crisis, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> so um, when I was 13, I was sexually abused by a very close family member and um, it kind of screwed me up a little bit. Mm, and so, you? But what it did, because I hadn't got that affirmation and that love, that I craved from my real father. Yeah. Um, I thought, oh, I could get affirmation. And I felt loved at that time. At the time, yeah. And um, it sent me into a bit of a spin with boys for a while. I'm sure it would. And um, opened a bit of a Pandora's box that mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have been opened. Yeah. And, um, and so I went off the rails a little bit, just a little bit. I was still going to church with my parents and I was still doing some of the some of the things I was expected to do, but my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. And it wasn't until um, I was 16 and I really decided, no, I was going to make a commitment in, in a Christian in a Christian way and just see where I was going to go from there. What and does that mean? What is, what is what I'm going to make a commitment so in a I Christian was going way? To, I was going to make a commitment to um, my faith Okay. To really, let's just go for this. Let's really do this. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided then to go and work for the church. So okay. I, I worked for the Assemblies of God Church Home Missions, mm-hmm. which meant I travelled all over the country when I was seventeen, straight wow. from school. Yeah. Um, I'd spend six weeks here, two weeks there, five weeks here, you know, and all over the country, from Cornwall, which is right down the bottom, to north. I went was Yorkshire. Oh, wow. Oh, no, further than that. I went to War's End. Yeah. So way up what, near Scotland. Yeah. And, um, and what did you do during that period? Anything. It could have been handing out leaflets. It could have been doing street evangelism, which is going out telling people about our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have been big missions. You know, it could have been anything. Um, could have been just painting a church. It could have been um, one of the things we did was look after a baby for the mom, one of the pastor's wives who was sick and she couldn't look after a baby. So a couple of us went in and to help with that. So you're 17 years old and you're you're proactively helping people and and doing things for your faith. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So with your uh, abuse as a 13-year-old, did your family know about that? No. And obviously they do now. It's in my book. (laughs) When, when uh, When did they find out about that? Um, well, I actually told my mom about four years ago 
but she apparently forgot until she read my book because she read up to that page and couldn't read anymore and then went through mm. every friend trying to figure out who it was. So she'd actually forgotten. And does but, she know who it was? No, I haven't told her. Okay, so that's your <laughs> secret. And Yeah, I don't think. The person's died now. Okay. And um, there's nothing that can be done about any of it. I just, yeah. And do you think your faith helped you get through that? I really only came to terms with it when I was an adult. Mm-hmm. So um, probably later on in my adult life, yeah. probably from 35 onwards, um, where I've really been able to come to terms with it and kind of shape myself differently okay. and start and stop reacting out of my need for love. And do you deal with it? Is that the right word? Do like. Or obviously you pushed it back and you've you've pushed that back in your emotions and in your body and, and we know when, when you do that that's not good for you or anyone because it, it moulds you as a person. A very good friend of mine was sexually abused as a child and uh, he, uh, two years ago now, he, he told everybody um, at a conference there was like 600 people in a room and I was there and no one knew and he come out with, I'm just going to read the first page of my book and it spoke about how he was sexual. And I've just, I started crying. I'm sitting there going, like I was with you during that whole period mm. and never knew that you were affected by that, let alone anything else. You were the happiest kid on the planet. Mm. And he said he just stuffed it so far down in his gut that it was sort of, he'd never forgotten. He always wanted to kill the person that did it. But other than that, it was something that, that he dealt with in his way. Yeah, I think you will have to deal with it in your own way. Mm. Um, you come to terms with it. You start um, creating your own way of handling it. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, like a, uh, <laughs> I suppose, like an autistic child who learns and when he grows up knows how to um, do things to make things better. So, uh, for instance, my son's autistic, okay, and he. He um, could be, you know, he could not be in the place he is now, but what he's done, he's um, he's just changed the way he looks at things to make sure that that works for him. Okay. And I think you do that in, in whatever it is that, you know, you, everyone goes through some kind of trauma at some stage or another, and I think that's how you have to do it if you want to go forward. Some people get stuck at that place. And and then that becomes more of an, a statement, I suppose. So, they so what makes you it. deal with that later in life then? Like say four years ago or when it was that you, you actually – Four years ago. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, so, do you like that? I did that. that was you, can, <laughs> you can stay with that. Four Thank years ago. No, well, when, when, you, when, you, when you actually got to the point where, okay, we're going to deal with this now, and it, does that come into your mind? Like do, do you actually get to that point or is it just something that happens over time? It, was, it evolved. Yeah, it, okay. It just kind of morphed. It was something that I knew it was eating away at me and I had to just say, okay, I forgive this guy that did this to me. Yeah. And he has shaped the way I've reacted for so many years. And Not going to let that happen anymore. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. that, And obviously it took a long time to happen, but you actually done that. And do you feel now that the world's sort of lifted off your shoulders and you can actually be you again or not yet? Yes, to the degree um, for that thing. Yeah. But then I went through lots of stuff. Oh, yeah, no, we're going to go there too. So, <laughs> so, that. so that all compounds it as yeah. well. That, that's yeah. the thing. Okay, so we're 17, we're, we're travelling over England and we're helping people and and um, what happens next? 
Well, I um, decided to come home because I was going to save some money to go and work on the operation mobilization ships. Okay. Which are big ships that go over, like mostly ships where they go and they just go to different countries and help the children in those countries. And, oh, wow. And for whatever, so, to do whatever. I didn't be, know that was a thing. Yeah. Operation mobilization ships. Yep, okay. or mercy ships and yep. stuff like So that was my heart. That's where I wanted to go. It's going to go to Africa, India, go anywhere, yeah. you know, some of the little islands and and um, wherever it took me. And um, in that meantime, I decided I need to go home, save some money, and I became a assistant manager of a health food shop. Okay. And that's where I met my ex-husband. Yeah. He came in. He was in the military. I was never going to see a military man because my real dad was a military of guy. Of course, yeah. And um, I ended up falling in love with him, getting married, and, yeah. And so how old were we then? I was, well, we, we met when I was 18. Okay. And um, got married at 19. And was he older? He was 22. Okay, so yeah, just two or three years older. Few years. He was four years older than me. So. Okay. Yeah. And so you were still in England at this time? Yes, I was. And we've got married. We're very happy. We're, we're in love. We were in love. <laughs> the happiness wasn't there. He was very funny, very quirky, very – he made me laugh a lot. Okay. And it was very shortly after we got married that I realised that his quirky, weird, funny behaviours weren't so funny and weird and quirky anymore. Okay. They were actually destructive. And that was all the way – he put on the charm. He could be the nicest person on the planet and to everybody else. But behind closed doors, he was controlling and manipulative. And did it take you long to work that out? You don't go into a relationship thinking you're going to be of in course. that kind of relationship, yeah. you know, um, and you convince yourself you're not in that kind of relationship for a long time. And even though I saw the signs and there were red flags and you were, oh, what does that mean, you know, kind of feelings, but then you make allowances, you look at their past, you look at how much they need you, mm. <laughs> how much they they um they, they need help, you know, you think, I can be the one to change them, that's okay, you know, he just needs time, he needs space, he needs this, he needs that. And eventually you're 15 years later, four kids and a complete wreck. Wow. Do you ever think, did your mum ever tell you that she was uh, domestically abused uh, when you were a child? So did you ever learn that? Yeah, she told me, ago? yeah. So... Does that change your mindset even when you're married to think, oh, that happened to my mum, so it must be okay to happen to me? No, it didn't cross my mind. I've never even thought about it until then. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I just find I just find it interesting because some people are, have different mindsets in regards to that stuff. So okay. not to apologise for bringing that up. There we go. <laughs> never even thought about it. <laughs> so during those 15 years, um, domestic, uh, domestic violence, domestic abuse, verbal, physical. Um, Any kind of abuse you could possibly think of. Um, wow. He perpetrated onto me, and he and the kids. He was um, controlling with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, he would get angry with the kids. He would over discipline the kids mm-hmm. um, for very silly things. Um, he would hit the kids, um, but he would make it everything he did. 
he was able to convince me that black was blue, even if it wasn't. It didn't matter. You know, yeah. it was very, um, what's the word? Very um, manipulative. Well, yeah, it is very manipulative. Mm. Um, he he used tactics that I had never seen before to things that he would make me do and I would not do normally. It's yeah. just not in my nature to do. He would convince me that that was the best thing to do on the planet. Wow. And I don't even know how. <laughs> I so wish. <laughs> 15 years that you put you, you went through this. Yeah, 15 years. When do you get to the point where you think, actually, this is wrong? Well, over 15 years he had 15 relationships with different women that I know of. Wow, one a year. Pretty much. Um, it, the last one, though, I was convinced it was different. Um, so did he have those relationships, say, sorry, and then come back? No. Or you didn't know about oh, them? Oh, I knew about them. Oh, okay. And did, was, did he hide the fact? No. No. But it was the right thing to do because he had this manipulation over you. Yep. Yep. Wow. And, you know, we had, according to him, we had an open relationship. According so. to him. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the question was now. <laughs> I was just wondering, like, during the during that period, it's a 15-year period, it's a long time. Obviously, he's got 15 different relationships that you know of during that. Do you have any other families with other people? That no, you know of? not that I know of. Okay. So what was the what was the point where you sat there and so went, enough, nah, that's enough. There was a couple of things that happened. Um, I got really quite strong in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had come back to my faith because during this time I couldn't actually hate it. Was going to be my next question? Actually, he hated my faith. Really? He hated he, it. He was in the same faith when we got married. Okay. Apparently, but he now hated my faith, and mm. he struggled that I wanted to go to church on a Sunday or I wanted to go and read my Bible or, you know, there was there were things that he really struggled with and, and it was probably because it was reminding him of, you know, it was probably annoying him. Yeah. His did he past. go through a bad childhood? Yes, he did. Okay. So yeah. he, he was continued abusive, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that happens a lot. Yeah, it does. It happens a lot does. where um, the parents abuse um, the child and the child thinks Wait, it's okay. That's how bullies are. That's right. It's all down to parenting. If he doesn't know how to parent, he's never been shown another way to parent. How exactly. would you know any difference, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so not that that's an excuse because he still say, had choices These are, these are all the make. reasons why you forgive him. This is the reason That's exactly why, right. Oh, and that's why I forgave child. him. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like yeah. and, oh, you've had a bad childhood, so poor you. Um, like that, that's okay. Like, we won't do that again. But yeah, Obviously that's right. a continuation of those yeah. um, things is not good. So yeah. what's the day? What Was there one day or was it? You read my book. <laughs> Don't ruin the book. No, Don't ruin the was, book. Was there a period was, of time? Did it was it a, period a period of a time. time. So yeah. what happened was was he brought his girlfriend over. Was she was that a bit unusual? weird. No, no. And this girl had been coming and going in our life. And he wanted to have a Christmas before she went to see her parents and and she bought us all gifts and everything else and then So yeah. did the kids kids make these women? Yeah. And At you, this one anyway. How do you and introduce They were just friends? Apparently at time at the time, okay. so it was his workmate. So it was like, oh, you know, I work with this girl, and you know, come, yeah, come and see my family, and that, and of course there was a other relationship going on yeah. on the side, which I knew immediately what was happening. Yeah, um, 
that there would be. I could see the way he manipulates, so I knew exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it hadn't been intimate and physical at this stage. Oh, okay. But, um, and then Christmas came and we did this Christmas thing and he disappeared. And so did she. <laughs> and I knew exactly where they were. And we were all downstairs. Yeah. And um, So you were downstairs with the kids. Yeah. He's Gone upstairs. upstairs with his work. I thought I thought they were in the study, um, talking about work, and when no, they weren't. <laughs> they were upstairs. Wow! And um, that there, I think that's the height of rudeness. That was the breaking point for me. Yeah. So I got myself stronger, and I had got to a place where I was like, "Enough's enough. I can't do this anymore." So when he came down all jolly and happy, oh, God, I just did, yeah. Um, I gave it to him. Good on her. Was she still there? No, she'd left. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to do it in front of her. And what about in front of the kids? No, I put them to bed. Okay. You know, and so it, you it was and just me and in him. In the room. He's happy, as happy as Larry because he's just done what he wanted to do. Yeah, and I, I just. Did not deal with it at all. You let rip, as we <laughs> like to call it in Australia. <laughs> I did. Um, and it, did it get physical? Did you actually beat him up? No, no. Okay. Just verbal. Just verbal. Mm-hmm. And he was shocked and I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, he just couldn't get it. He could not get it. He just didn't understand why I was hurting so much. And um, I was just done. And I distanced myself. Um, I tried. So you to, stayed in the house. I stayed at my in the house at the time. Yep. Um, and we were going to try and work things through, um, for the kids' sake. How old are the kids at this stage? Oh, they would have been twelve. Down, twelve and under. Yeah, twelve yeah, okay. down to seven, maybe. Okay. So they know what's going on. Oh, they're not stupid. Yeah, no kids are no kids are stupid, but yeah, no, no, they so. they knew and they knew that there were issues between. Yeah me and him for a long time as well but um yeah they i think they cottoned on that what was going on you know and um yeah the relationship just went downhill downhill and i and we well you had enough you'd already reached your point and it's like let's try and work this out for the kids that shouldn't happen no it was just just awful and he became at that stage more um, controlling them because he was losing control. Yeah. So he wanted to gain wanted control. More. Yeah. You know, so he could no longer control you because he really, you now, he's realized. He did try. That oh you realized. Yeah. And, and he'd uh, still bring her home and he'd expect me to cook for her and he'd expect me to clean her washing and do all this kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, honestly, it was ridiculous. And because I was a monk, I did it just to keep quiet because I didn't want the rep, you know, the repercussions afterwards. So wow. I just did it. And then he'd have a go at me because I didn't smile at her or I didn't make conversation with her. I was like, what the heck? That's <laughs> like, insanity. Yeah. Um, I started sleepwalking at that point. Um, I went a bit. Um, well, the sleepwalking was incredible and I've never heard anybody do this kind of sleepwalking <laughs> before. It, it was now thinking, oh, my gosh. But I'd have nightmares as yeah. well and and stuff because about him, about him, um, about being controlled, okay. um, all sorts weird and scary nightmares, and um, and then you'd get up, <clears throat> fall asleep, and what'd you do? Oh, I walk to the park. 
in just a slinky nightwear, no shoes. Um, I was found in the woods. I was oh. found walking down. We lived on an RAF camp. And I was near a, I, I was like about oh, a mile from my house, which is probably about two kilometers from wow. my house, down this particular road, heading towards um, outside the gates. And somebody, somebody, because I worked on the camp, yeah, yeah. they knew so they me. they knew you. And they were like, And you're also you? in a nighty. I was in a nighty. So this is another <laughs> time, but yes, I was in a nighty that time too. So they, they actually woke me up by turning me saying, and I had this whole conversation with him in my sleep and he realized I was asleep and, um, wow. and, um, then I had a, a time where I actually woke up and I was gone for a walk and I must've landed outside our bedroom, outside the lounge window with him having sex with his girlfriend. So when I woke up, first thing I saw was that. So you, you woke I was up. like, Oh my gosh. So you've gone to bed upstairs, fallen asleep. And he, he would have he's, he's gone got out. He's got his missus, his other missus, and he's having her way with her in the lounge room and you've woke up outside the window. Mm. What do you do then? Oh, I freaked out. Actually, I think I drank a lot and then um, had some cigarettes and then drank some more and, yeah, I went for a walk. <laughs> but you were awake this time. I was awake. But horribly drunk, but that's fine. That's <laughs> why people deal with these things. So when, was, when did you leave? When when did you say, so, I'm out? Um, about three months later. Okay. So um, you put yourself through hell for another three months. I put myself through hell for another three months. Um, but it was about three months later. Um, it was our wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. And he bought me a new wedding ring. And <laughs> I was appalled. <laughs> I didn't want to wear it. I couldn't believe it. Is that because she wouldn't sick. accept it and it was like a, another gift? <laughs> no, I think it wow. was It was all about power and control. That's unbelievable. It was all about power and control. And it was all about saying how much he loved me and all this rubbish. And that he would never, and I don't think for one minute you're ever going to be divorced from me because you will always be my wife. Those, <laughs> those were the words. Those were the words. And um, so he... Gave me this wedding ring and then took, and this was about two days before our wedding anniversary. And we just went out because he was working, but it turned out that he was working and taking his girlfriend away afterwards. And so our wedding anniversary, he was with his new girlfriend away. And I wanted to take my life. I had done the only way out of this well, marriage was to kill yourself. Was to kill myself. And I knew that was the only way. I knew that if I didn't kill myself, he was going to kill me anyway mm. because I knew. Because the way it was heading, and and I needed to finish it quickly. And I was this close, but then I remembered that my daughter would come in and find me, so I didn't do that. Um, Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> Seriously, like, and I'm sure your kids do too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you speak but, to them about this? Have they read your book? No. Okay. No, they they can't do it. No, oh, it's fair yeah. enough too. Yeah. So they, um, I decided, well, it was actually one of those times where I say it's a God moment because I knew that it was, it was a time that I had a moment where I believe God intervened. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, was, um, I was literally, I'd taken these tablets out of the package and then I had this picture of my daughter finding me and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then I thought I'm going to give them the best weekend and I'll do it the next day. And when I don't wake up the kids, 
and Mark will be here by that stage. Right, and he'll find me. And then, he'll find yeah, me okay. and not the kids. There's some logic in that. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought I was going to give them the best day. We went out to the park and we had some fun. And, and I was, I had. Um, and he was away this. He was yeah, still yeah. away. And I had, um, I couldn't drive mm-hmm. because he wouldn't let me learn. I was too stupid to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also, I'd had epilepsy as well and it was uncontrolled. But that wasn't the reason why I hadn't learned. Or mm-hmm. I hadn't learned because he wouldn't he, let you. He wouldn't let me. It was another part of control. Mm. And so um, we just had to do things around the camp. And so we had friends and we'd go there. And I, we had a lovely day. And during the night, that next night, I'd fallen to sleep. And um, before I'd taken the tablets and stuff. And I woke up with this little tune going through my head. And this tune brought me back to a childhood song. And the Do you word, remember it? The words were, I'm not my own, I've been bought with a price. And in my faith, what I believe is that Jesus bought us when he died on the cross. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Okay. And so for me, it's like, I can't take my life because my life is God's. Okay. So for me, that was it. I was like, okay, well, now you have to deal with this because I can't marry. I cannot stay married to this man any longer. So if you want me alive, you have to get me out of this. The very next day, my ex-husband came home and said he wanted to talk to me I thought what have I done I was going through everything yeah. I was in a right panic by the time we got to talking in the evening we were in I was in such a state but um he wanted to separate so like five <laughs> days before he wow. gave me a ring saying yeah. you'll always be my wife yeah and then all of a sudden so he said he's two days away with his uh his future wife and, oh they uh, never got married but, oh but that's obviously in his head oh there's um, someone else I can now manipulate yeah, I was actually quite sick at the time. I was mm-hmm. waiting for an operation. And so he said, you can stay till the, after the operation and then we'll, then you can leave the house. And that's what I did. Wow. Mm. And that moment, do you remember the moment? Were you relieved? Were you oh like my, in shock? I was in shock. I was relieved. I went out and I had a good cry. Yeah. It was like this weight had been lifted off me. And... From that moment, did he still try and control you? Yes. He, did. he still so did. So he didn't let you go? He didn't let me go. He okay. still tried to control me. Mm-hmm. Even after I separated, we left. I was in another house. He would do things like walk in my house. Um, and, well, when I first moved in the house, I gave him a key to drop some of my stuff off because I had to go out with my mom to go and because he wouldn't let me take anything in, from the house apart mm-hmm. from my personal belongings. Yep. So me and mom had to go and we had to buy kitchen stuff we had to buy all sorts of things so we went out and did that and he had let himself in dropped all the boxes off of my personal stuff and then walked out um he left this bottle of champagne and a and a card saying congratulations on your new life enjoy enjoy it and two glasses and two glasses champagne glasses and and it was like what and i told him he had to leave the key under the doormat yeah um which he did do and um, but I think he took a copy. Yeah, we got we got one cut. He yeah. got one cut, and um, I would find him in my house. He'd be lying on my bed, or he'd be sitting in the lounge having a cup of tea, or he'd be just mooching around, you know. And how old are the kids at this stage? Um, my eldest would have been thirteen or fourteen. So he oh, came in to see them. Is that what that was all about? They'd be at school. Oh, okay. He'd just be there. He'd just be there. Um, we had 50-50% parental control at the time. Mm-hmm. 
um, again, all on his terms. Yeah. Uh, everything was always on his terms the whole time, whole time. And he would throw in things like, Don't, you will always be married to me. <laughs> Enjoy this life, but you're always going to be married to me. So um, even when we got to Queen Nysai, yeah. um, through, he threw that in. You're wow. always going to be married to me. I don't care what you think. But I'll tell you about that when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> so we've now you moved into the new house. The kids are there. The, how are the kids changed now? Are they happier? Are they because they were just with mum and that, well, or are they going through the whole mum and dad have split up turmoil? What, what happens? They to were us? actually very excited when we said that we were splitting up. But the two girls wanted to stay, or two of the girls wanted to stay with him. Okay. Um, because they knew they would see me often because he went away so much with work. Okay. Um, where my son and my youngest daughter, who's got cerebral palsy, who that was way too hard for him to deal with. Mm-hmm. He he was happy to us to have for me to have those two. Yeah. Um, but then he a few year, few months later, he we counted on that and took David with him too, and told him he had to go and live with them. Um, and my I just had my little girl who mm. has cerebral palsy, which caused angst in the family because they of were course. jealous because they wanted to be with me yeah. and they couldn't. But Matt was caused that? a lot of problems. Another way he manipulated you. Oh, yes. And and he'd use them against me. If you want your kids, then, you know, you can move back into the family home and stuff like that. Even even it, after the divorce? Even after I was remarried. Wow. So how long between... When you got divorced, did you meet your next husband? I actually met him before we were divorced. Okay. <laughs> so I was still living in the house. Um, this is another kind of one of those whale moments. Yeah. So I was still living in the house. Um, it was about six weeks after we decided we were splitting up yep. and we'd separated and everything else. And um, I was on the computer one day and a friend of mine, the only friend of mine that knew everything that had gone on, mm-hmm. had just got posted to another camp. And she said, hey, Zena, I'm on this Christian chat site. If you want to talk to me, just come on- online and talk to me. I was like, oh, okay. And this one day I was having a really bad time. I had a huge mail and all these other things that had gone on. And, and so I clipped on to go and see if I could speak to Fiona and she wasn't online and I'd done this a few times and she was never online. But this one day this other guy was and he, we just got talking. I don't even know how we got talking. And <laughs> it was meant to be. I have no idea. But this guy, he'd actually, he ran um, the, it used to be Life FM, it's now Juice mm-hmm. over here. Um, used to be the oh, so he was in Australia. He was in Australia. Yeah. And he, so he ran that. And he'd do a lot because he doesn't sleep at night. So he'd do a lot of his work and study at night. And one night he had this new, it wasn't a pop-up. It's actually encased in the toolbar of his computer, um, new kind of button, which said free chat. And he was like, what is that? I've never seen that before. And he clicked on it. It didn't take him to Yahoo or Google or any of these other big things. Took him to this UK Christian chat site. (laughs) How random. And he was like, what? So curiosity, I suppose, with that's really weird. Yeah. So, so he just logged on, see what was it all about, and you know, a bit of research for the radio station. And my name was Zuni the Looney. Yeah. 
And yeah, obviously thought, oh, that's a crazy oh. name. I need to talk to her. I don't know. I don't know who instigated the conversation. But anyway. And was there a picture of you on the site? No. So he had no idea who he had was no talking idea to. who. That's I could amazing. have been I could have been a male, a I could have been any could have been the loony. <laughs> Some might argue the case. <laughs> and and so anyway, we got talking and you know what, we became the best of friends. Nothing could possibly happen. He had three children over here. Yeah. Um, so the other side of the world. The other side of the world. I would have four children over there. And were you telling him about your life? Yeah, we chatted about what we were going through at the state. Yeah. Even spoke to my ex-husband and said, look, can, can I help, you know, get you back together? Is there anything we can do? He was done. You know, he was like, oh, no, she's happy with this arrangement, blah, blah, blah. Because um, <laughs> I said she was. Yeah, that's uh, exactly yeah. right. And, um, and so someone just tried to kind of help us, yeah. you know, talk things through. Um, he was really um, generous with his time, you know, he'd listen to me whinge and moan and yeah. cry and, and thing so the other a, way. So you're on a chat was, site at this stage. Um, are you also physically talking? Yeah, we okay. started phoning and chatting yeah. on the phone, and but nothing could happen. Had so you, it was a had safe relationship. Oh, we'd sent photos of oh, each other. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He sent me a picture of Kermit the Frog. In fact, it was a hand. It was a naked Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> that was him. <laughs> but um, um, I was an x-ray of Kermit the Frog. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> so, uh, but so no, I had actually seen him, seen him by, you know, by photos and stuff. Yeah. Um, but we were just friends. That was all. Nothing else could possibly happen between us. So it was a safe relationship. We could share each other's journeys because yeah, we were never going to meet. I could tell him anything I wanted Yeah. because it didn't really matter. Yeah, I'm never going to meet you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, we just became the best of friends. So during this, did, did your ex-husband use that against you at all? Use this, this newfound friend? Uh not towards the court case, but we'll go into that later. <laughs> okay. So we're um, we're still in England. We're in the new house, um, which he visits regularly. Oh, um, way too regularly. And um, we're we're budding romance on the chat channel, but that's all safe because that'll never happen. No. Nope. What happens then? Well, about a year later, um, after after I split up, oh. Yeah, it was about a year after we started talking. Um, my daughter had to go in hospital and have 11 operations because she had cerebral palsy. Yeah. And so yeah, it was a multi-level surgery. And um, it was shortly after that that I started realising that my feelings were a lot deeper for Simon than however they should be yeah. because there's no way this could possibly go on or, ha- or happen. No way. And um, it was May 2006, somebody, I believe in prophecy in my faith. I Mm -hmm. believe people have words from God for people. And we had the same word from God from two different people on the same day, pretty much in the same hour. Wow. So is he in the same faith as you? He is. Okay. Okay. So when you met, obviously it's a Christian website. Is it just one faith or is it multiple faiths? No, Christian website. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And then you're both from the same faith. You believe in the same thing. Yeah, we believed in the same thing. Yeah. And he was working um, on a Christian radio station, yeah, yeah. Life FM. And um, and so uh, we both had this same word that we were 
we were meant to be together mm-hmm. and we were both being married to each other at the end of the by the end of the year and I hadn't even got my divorce sorted by so that this is the 06 this is 06 yeah and we were like okay so this is pre-divorce this is pre-divorce <laughs> yeah and we were like I don't know how that's going to work so anyway I flew out to see and you him. hadn't actually met physically at this stage no no and we just these people neither of these people knew about me or Simon. Okay. So the person that gave this word to me yep. said, um, said, oh, you've got to get your divorce sorted out because you're going to be married to somebody by the end of the year who's not in the country. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and they knew nothing about they knew your nothing. So that relationship. Nothing at all. Nothing wow. at all. And then um, this lady that Simon worked with, well, was one of the clients who used to talk on the radio station, um, not advertise on the radio station, said, you haven't told me about this woman you're speaking to, and it all flowed from there, basically. And um, we just knew we were supposed to be together, but we didn't know how. Anyway, um, I flew out to Australia in in the August, um, and we just knew, you know, and you just know. So when you landed in Australia, was he there waiting for you? And did you walk up him, give him a big kiss and, like, he's my future husband? Or did you know that, like, you were together? It was weird. That's it was what I mean. So like, it's weird. like you've never actually physically no. seen each other. You know so, so much about each other. I walked out and I was like, how am I even going to recognise him? I'm if he doesn't look like his pictures. You know, you all these things that go through <laughs> your head. And all I heard was this oi and, you know, Aussie mating call. You know, yeah, oi, yeah. oi. <laughs> I was like... I know that's Simon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't know how, because I, I was really close. Do I shake, hands, do I shake hands with him? Do I give him a kiss? <laughs> do I give him a hug? I don't know. So kind of felt a bit awkward. Yeah. But we didn't stop holding hands from then on, really. Oh, that's amazing. And, um, we just knew. So we you knew. came out on your own? No kids? No, no. He it was his time to have them, so he had the kids. Yeah. And, and I had a lovely time with Simon and we got engaged. We didn't know how it was going to happen. It was the biggest See, when you were here you got engaged? Yeah. We didn't know how Good it was going to happen. Oh, that's awesome. But we just felt that it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, we tried all sorts of ways of how we were going to get married. Um, and we divorced yet? We were going through it by this so stage. So was he divorced yet? He was divorced okay. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, and I was... I was going through it at that stage. So did you meet his kids when you came out? Yeah. Yeah. So how old were they at the time? Oh, 14, 15, okay. 15 or 16 and, yeah, something like that. So, so. dad's introduced us to this random English woman. <laughs> they'd spoken to me on the phone. Oh, and, there we go. And he'd spoken to my kids on yeah. the phone. In fact, they probably, at one stage, he'd speak to my kids more than he was speaking to me because they wouldn't <laughs> let him go, you know. Yeah. We, you know, it was very. Isn't it amazing? a little chat button on a computer screen on the other side of the world brings you together. That's astounding. Oh, no. <laughs> so you're, you're engaged We're now. engaged. Yeah. I came back to England not really knowing how it was all going to work. <laughs> um, going, going through, through the, the divorce, divorce yeah. which was just horrific. He was not happy about that and he constantly reminded me I'll always be his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and the divorce lawyer kept saying to me, Zina, you, you can fight for for half of everything in his house. You could fight for half his pension. You could fight for this. You could fight for that. I was happy to have escaped just, just with my out. heart. Yep. And, cool. and I was like, I just don't want any of it. I don't want any reminders of it all anyway. I'm happy. You know, just let it go. So that made the divorce a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. 
And um, when he came, when, I, when he got the double degree nice eye, he was fuming. And he walked in my house and he threw them at me. And Had he signed them? Um, he'd signed the, the divorce papers, <laughs> okay. but this yeah. was the decree nice I once it actually was all official and yeah. we were divorced and, and he just threw it at me and, and I got the courage to stand up to him that day that I you never did. thought I would ever have the courage to, you know, and, um, do you remember what you said? Oh, was it abusive or was it just, no, no, it was not that abusive. tone where fuck you, you're not doing this to me anymore. Pretty much. I'm control of my own. Pretty much. Good on you. Um, I, what I said to him was, and I don't know if your listeners would actually understand what I said here, but maybe I'll just tell you. Um, cause it's in my book anyway. Yeah. So, so what I said to him was, um, cause he said, you'll just remember, you'll always be my wife. I don't care who you get married to. You'll always be my wife. And I said, no, it's where you're wrong. Not anymore. And um, I said, you know what? I said, one day you married me knowing I was a bit broken. I was a broken vase. You married me and you never cherished me. You never adored me. You never loved me. You never tried to, you know, make me a better person. But what you did is you stuck this vase in the middle of the corner of your room. You'd throw your dirty washing at me. You would kick me as you go past. You'd throw your rubbish in me. You would treat me like dirt. You'd knock me over and you know, and all this. And then one day you picked me up and you said, you know what, I don't want you anymore. And you looked at this vase and you just, I don't want you anymore. But I'm not letting Molly else have you. So you dropped me and I smashed into a thousand pieces. I said, but that's when God got down on his knees and he built me up so strong without you being in me without you I have I don't have to have anything to do with you because he's built me differently this time and um he was stunned and he didn't know what to say and walked out in a bit of a temper <laughs> it's, it's interesting though because at the same time during your marriage he didn't believe in your faith or he wasn't happy for you to have that and then that one in the end yeah and You've shoved that back in his face. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> Seriously, good on you. Because it's, it's, I find that whole thing um, amazing. So did you then go and jump on a plane and come move to Australia? What did you do? Oh, no. No, no, how no. Did you, how, sorry, how did the kids go? Like you, now the, the, the decree nice eye has been done. Yeah, they they were quite happy about it all. They weren't bothered by all that. Are they still 50-50 or all was, with him or back with you? Or? It was 50-50 on his terms. Mm-hmm. Um, like he would phone me up and say, I'm picking up the kids today. I'm like, second, we were going to do this tonight. Sorry, I'm picking them up. And then he would say, Zeno, I'm bringing the kids home today. And we'd be like, well, I've made plans for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he was like, I don't care. Uh, I'm dropping them off right now. And so it, it was all over the place. It was always on his terms. And... Um, yeah, it was a bit of a schmuzzle, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the poor kids were all over the place. They didn't yeah. know whether they were here or there or anywhere, really. Um, and it wasn't healthy for them. It wasn't. Um, but Simon came over at the beginning of December. And we tried every way to get married. We tried Scotland, England, really? Malta, because my husband's Maltese. Yeah. Um, uh, couldn't do it. It was all too hard. The only place we could get married was Australia. And he was talking to a friend about this and he's a really close friend. And he said, Simon, I'd love to marry you. I'm a pastor. I can marry you. 
said, but the only day I've got is 29th of December. Yeah. The end of the year. <laughs> and he, this is what, a few days before that? Uh, this was, no, this was like months before, oh, okay. before yeah, sorry, that. Yeah. So when we started working towards the wedding on the 29th of December, which was what the people said, yeah. that you'd be married by the end, the end of the of year. The year. Yeah. Wow. And um, we didn't know how it was going to work. So he came over at the beginning of December. He spent three weeks with the kids and that, and then we flew back. Did he meet your ex at the time? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Did he meet my <laughs> Yes, he did. did he he was absolutely. No, but he did think about it. <laughs> Sorry, just had to, had to throw that in there. <laughs> he did think about it. Um, he witnessed things mm-hmm. um, such as we were standing in the kitchen one day and he was, uh, Mark was coming to pick up the kids. Um, we did like some Christmas because we weren't going to be there for Christmas with the kids. So we decided like 23rd of December to do this big Christmas yeah. for the kids and then my ex-husband would pick them up and take them to his family. And um, he turned up, walked through the kitchen door, was straight through. Hi, Simon. Went and sat down on the lounge. And Simon was like, what the heck? <laughs> what just happened? Why did he just walk into your house? And I was like, he's always like that. My mom was there at the time. My mom was like, he always does that. It's like, not anymore. And this oh, is, really? This is, this is going to be my wife's house. And yeah. this is not happening anymore. And um, So Simon, a big bloke, little bloke? Well, average size. Bigger than Mark? No. Okay. Mark was taller than him. And, yeah. yeah. I don't know about his width, but yeah, yeah. he's taller than him anyway. Um, so. Um, he's, he's walked in the lounge room. He's walked in the lounge room. He's sat down on the on the lounge and, and all the kids, well, they were just running around normal kids beforehand and they all flocked to him. <laughs> to watch it? Or to Simon? No, to Mark. Oh, and okay. they all flocked to Mark and... They all said to him like that, hi, daddy, how are you, daddy? And that was normal for me. That's what I've always hmm. done. My kids have always just, as soon as daddy gets all the attention, as soon as he walks through the door, he yeah, yeah. demands everything and they all come running. And so someone was like, what happened to these kids? They were normal and now they're like lap dogs. Yeah. You know, mom, my mom's like, they're always like that. They're always like that. That's how they, you know. It's the power he has over them. It's the the yeah the hold he has on them wow. and um he was gobsmacked by that and he couldn't get that out of his mind it was a real struggle for him he was he's there's something wrong there there's something wrong anyway he um he went to uh we went he left we went to australia got married we didn't know how it was going to work out yeah you know we really didn't I had to leave three weeks later and come back to england on my own um so you were married and then you had your honeymoon and then you went back to England, back to... Yep. Wow. And so for the first six months, um, he was sorting out a visa to get over there and mm-hmm. get his Maltese passport sorted and everything else. And um, so he could work in the UK because yeah. his Maltese passport. And so he we were sorting all that out. Then stuff fell into place and it was easy for him to get over to England. So we thought three to five months in England... And then because we have 50-50% parental control, if we had the kids then, then we can go back to England, um, come back to Australia and spend time with his kids for yeah. three months because I was on a holiday visa then for three months. And then we'll do that until my kids are old enough to make a choice where Fair they want to be. Yeah. And um, they, and that was the plan. He arrived on the first day of summer 
in the UK, 21st of June. It rained for 15 days. He had <laughs> no idea where he'd come to. He was like, what the heck? This is just awful. <laughs> What's it with this weather? And um, three weeks after he arrived, we'd noticed for a couple of weeks some really strange behaviours with my eldest daughter. And, and, and we thought it might have been because the parent all of a sudden come into yeah, the yeah. house and, and all these other things. Um and eventually I said, you know what? I recognize those behaviors. And, really? I, and she, he said, what do you mean? And I said, I think she's being touched. She, he said, what? I Did said, he know about you? Yeah. You, yeah. So it was one of the things you'd shared. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was safe to tell him anything. Yeah, of course. We were never going to meet him. <laughs> never so. going to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I tackled her and I asked her. She said, I, and, and she was, had a friend who was 19. She was 14 at the time. Mm. So she had a friend that was 19 and I thought that was a bit quite inappropriate. Yeah. So I just presumed and I said, is Dan touching you? And he was like, what? No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. I didn't ask the right question. Okay. Did not ask the right question. And uh, about a week later, she uh, thought she was pregnant and she told the youth leader um, at her church at a camp they were on mm-hmm. that she thought she was pregnant and that she had a pregnancy test. And then she disclosed that it was her natural father. So um, it turned out. So it was Mark. Yeah. Wow. So when she disclosed to me. 14. 14. When she disclosed to me, there was two things that made her tell. One, that she thought she was pregnant. Two, he'd started touching her little sister. She could handle it, but she didn't believe the little sister could. Um, And... Yeah, it from then on, all hell broke loose, quite literally. I'm sure, I'm sure it did. <laughs> we um, went, so Simon was in the country? Yep, Simon was here with me, so we Simon went through obviously it together. You both wanted to kill him. Oh, yes, we both wanted to kill him. Um, How do you approach that? Well, she had made me promise I wouldn't go to the police. Okay. She said, I'll tell you something. I won't get me now. That's not the right thing to do. You never promise not not to to keep a secret. You never promise to say, yeah, okay, I won't go to the police. I luckily, I said, I didn't say I was going to keep a secret. I did say that I wouldn't go to the police. So I could go to someone's house who's got managed fee reporting. Mm -hmm. So I went to the school and said, this is what my daughter disclosed to me last night, but I promised I wouldn't go to the police. So they went to the police. So the school went. So you never broke the promise. I did not break the promise. (laughs) And Uh, did she accept that? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, she did. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the police then, and we had to pick up the kids early, take them. Literally, we had to go into hide, hide mm-hmm. because he was calling, because they were supposed to go back to his place. He was calling them every two minutes, every one to the other, to the other, so to before me. Before the police picked him up. And, oh, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. And and he didn't stop calling us for hours. And we were, whilst we were waiting for the police to arrive. Um, to come and interview the children. When they eventually did, they called him and told him he had to stop phoning because there was an investigation under underway and that they are safe with their mom, so they'll be staying with their mom until further notice. They did not arrest him until the Friday. So that was the Monday, and they didn't arrest him until the Friday. So he got rid of a heap of evidence, luckily not everything, and he was able to... Um, was she pregnant? No. Oh, thank God for that, eh? Yes, thank goodness. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And they arrested him. Did he get done for it? Two and a half years later, 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, we went through two trials. The first, he had 20 um, counts against his name. Mm-hmm. The first trial, there was one word against the other for a couple of things. So those two had to go out. Turned out that he actually abused all four of them. Um, once the police investigation got underway, um, the couple more are still on file. So he ended up getting convicted on this, um, for one count um, on that of, of rape, um, which we knew he was going down for, mm-hmm. for that. Um, but then was they he let him out. during this time? No, he was not in custody. So you're worried about your safety, All the time. time. We actually felt that we were prisoners because if we couldn't, if as we were told that he couldn't come into the little town that we were in. Yeah. Um, but he would because he's that person. Oh, somebody actually told us that we lived in a little village called Sleaford at the time mm-hmm. and um, he was spotted leaning on the welcome to Sleaford sign just because he could. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah. So during that two and a half years, no, did Simon stay in England with you? Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't letting you go. He, he was, he was worried you. for our safety. He was worried he could not leave the kids. He no. loved the kids as his own. So um, what about his kids over here? They struggled. Yeah. And he struggled. You know, he really sacrificed his relationship with his kids at that stage. And, mm. and he felt like that too. And he was stuck in this middle what do I do? If I mm. leave this family, they're in danger. If I don't leave this family and go, or if I, you know, if I don't leave yeah, this family, then my poor kids aren't having me. And so it was a really, it was really tough for him. But, so the kids are all grown up now. Yep. Do they forgive? Yes. Wow. And did Mark get put away? Yes. How many years? He got nine years per account. So on the second trial, he got convicted. It was a different trial altogether. It was a really hard 12-day trial, mm-hmm. the first one. The second one was six days, I think, in yeah. the end. And so did the kids have to times. get up on the stand? And The first trial, the three kids, uh, three of the older kids did. Second trial, just the eldest daughter. Mm. Um, That's so strong of her. Oh, she was the one that pushed for the second trial because he already got convicted. And he was yeah. like, she's like, I'm not getting, letting him get away with the rest of this. Um, and we so were like, she's like sure? 16 at this stage? Yeah, she was. Wow. Mm. And she was like, he's not getting away with it. So she then went um, to the second trial and we supported her. Yeah. And said, yep, of course, we'll do whatever it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, we went through that second trial. He got that trial, went for half the time. It was a lot quicker, a lot easier. Um, they could see straight through him. Yeah. And with mean, the first trial, it was quite weird because it was mostly women. Okay. So my husband thought, oh, that's awesome. You know, yeah. it's mostly women. They'll be sympathetic. And I was like, I don't think so. I just had. Oh, yeah. Women can be hard. You know, like, yeah, of course. And he can manipulate. So, you know, and the second trial was more men. And, so you um, got nine years in the first trial? I uh, No, he didn't get. On the first trial, they didn't. They waited to the end of the second trial. Oh, really? Before they um, put him away. The end of the second trial, he got nine years per account. So mm-hmm. 14, 120 something years. Yes. Um, but to serve it concurrently, so nine years. And then and in the UK, they only serve half the time behind bars. So he was out in four and a half. Wow. And during that time, did you feel safe that he, when he was away? When he was away, yes, I did. 
Okay. But we were over in Australia. So you came to then. Australia by then? Yeah. So when he after the trial, um, Simon had already started the adoption process. Mm-hmm. The kids had asked him to adopt them. And oh. uh, so he'd he had already started that and nine months to the day, which is quite weird. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. he had got the adoption we all got the adoption forms and we were able to then come over here to Australia. And so we put in then for our for everything to move it. Yep. Um beginning of the following year we were back in Australia. Fifteenth of January two thousand and ten. And so you arrived back in Australia and is that the first time he'd seen his his kids? We had gone back uh, the year before for three weeks, just before the trial. Okay. Yeah, just me and him. Yeah, and so had the kids all met? No. It was so the first time they the met. brothers and sisters and now they've met. That's pretty yeah. amazing. How was that moment? Oh, it was good. I thought, awkward? Look, it was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, there's a lot of hurt there. Of course. Y- you know? Yeah. Simon's kids were upset that these kids had take, stolen their stole dad for dad. two and a half years. And it's yeah. all understandable. And, yeah. it, you know, um, and even though they blamed the kids, and they, but they knew the deeper reason why. Yeah, they got it, but it was You're still, still hard. You're still a kid, though. You That's know, it's still hard. Thing. You are. You are. You're still a kid. And, and um, yeah, so it was, it was tough. So during that time, did you ever mention to your daughter that you'd been through the same thing? Yeah, I think so. You told her? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. And did that make her feel, oh, it's not only me that this has happened to? Did that help her, do you think? I don't know. You never thought of that? No, I'm good I, at throwing well, these things at you. Well, I, don't, I don't know what whether she thought that or not. Yeah, okay. That probably gave her a little bit of perspective on how I dealt with it. Yeah. And, and I could say, you know, don't react this way, and, you know, whatever. But So four and a half years later he gets out of jail was we he, were here. You were here. Does he make contact? No. Has well, he ever made contact? Indirectly uh, through social media, okay. pretending he was somebody else. Yeah. Kept an eye on Instagram on the kids, which yeah. we didn't realise till very recently. Okay. So yeah. the kids still here in Australia? Well, everyone's still here in Australia? Oh, well, yep. So we're nine years on. You've changed your life. Yeah. You, you're like one of the happiest people I've seen. Right? <laughs> like the great smile and... You, you sit there and go from all that shit that you went through and from all this rebuilding of the bars, you now have a mission in life to help other kids not actually have to go through what you went through. Yeah. And what your kids went through. And there has to be in the back of your head some form of blame that you would have blamed yourself during that whole process. Oh, my about gosh. <laughs> someone's touched my daughter. Actually, my husband's touched my daughter. And I was there through the whole process and why didn't I know, et cetera, et cetera. And it apparently only started once I left, although so there are memories now yeah, yeah. that coming back to them that maybe something happened before but they don't remember. Yeah, they blocked so, it out. Yeah, so we don't know for that, but we are aware that that could have happened. But we do know that this, that stuff only started happening um Afterwards, after it was, I think but it you're was still a way. Blame yourself I think it was a way to control me, yeah. and I can't hurt her anymore. I will hurt hurt the kids, kids, and I, I don't know if that was um, a a choice. You know, it was a thought process yeah. that he went through or not. But I do think that, yeah, he was so angry at me for for 
leaving and, and everything. Oh, he, he hated it's losing like a, control. He hated bully. losing control. It's that simple. So you stand up to a bully and that makes it like, oh, I can't bully that person anymore. Exactly. And you did that. That's exactly right. And and um, I think the whole time I was so on edge all the way through, even after and everything else. And, and I've spent so many, so many of my years on edge yeah. that, that I can still be, you know, I can still easily go there even mm. now. You know, I, it's very easy for me to get super stressed and, and feel really anxious because of it. Look at the life you've lived. Of course it is. That's not, that's not uncommon that, that you feel that way. It's uncommon what's happened to you, but then again it's not. Like you're now helping all these people. What, when, when did you get to the point of going, okay, I'm going to write a book about this. I'm going to put this in words to tell my story and then off the back of that I'm going to help all these other people by writing my series of books. Well, it happened the other way around. Well, oh, did it? sort of. Yeah. So um, or in the, in the middle it was the process uh-huh. of it. So, so what happened was um, we started the charity. Um, yeah, it was just a support website whilst we were still in the UK. I okay. felt that there were so many people that had been going through this and there was nothing for parents there was nothing for other people to really know is this normal mm-hmm. you know is it normal for my kids to react like this is it normal for me to feel like this and I had so much guilt as well yeah of course. um so you know I I got it I understood it and um so many people say to me when are you writing your story when yeah. are you writing your story and uh, I didn't really think about it and when we came back here and we started up as a charity people kept saying to me you know what you really need to write a story. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. So 2012, I started writing my book. Okay. Um, Did you have a, like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put it all in words and it's going to come all out of me. I'm going to share everything with the world. Or you just sit there and go, oh, I'm just going to tell my story. Like, yeah, I think it's more I'll sit here and tell my story. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't really. And and I wasn't even sure it was even going to go into a book. Mm-hmm. I just thought if I write the story, then what happens will happen. It took me six years to write half the book. Okay. Okay. So 2018. So in amongst that time, I went to Fiji uh, just after Cyclone Winston and we went into some of the schools and I could see some of the behaviors and some of the things that the kids were going through. I knew from my experience with my kids. And I was like, how can I teach those parents how to look after? Because it's cultural over there. So it's two and three. Mm -hmm. So you think, how do I, how do I change this? How do I come? How can I speak to parents? And I realized, you know what? I'm not going to be able to change the way they do things and the way yeah, they course. see things. I'm not going to be able to do that. But what we can do is start teaching children that there is a better way. Yeah. Okay. So so that when I came back from Fiji, that was going, this process was going through my mind and I really felt maybe I should be writing a children's book. Mm-hmm. I thought, nah. And um, then something else happened. A couple of families, because I counsel, so a couple of families came to me and said to me, um, Oh, if only I had the vocabulary to have spoken to my children beforehand. And there's your answer. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's interesting. Maybe the book is the way to go. Yeah. And then I was reminded of a story that my daughter told me that they, when they were at school in the UK, the NSPTC, which is a big organization over there, would come into schools and talk about abuse and and what it is, what it isn't, and, and put these things on the screen, like stories on the screen where these children would tell, kind of tell their story. And my daughter said to me, I looked at them and I thought, oh, those poor kids, 
But then actually now I'm out of the situation. I realize I'm actually right in the middle of that. I, yeah. When I was watching that, I was one of those poor kids. Wow. And, um, and so, so when she, when this all kind of reminded me as well, I was thinking I've got to write a book. So that's why Brave Little Bear, the first book came yeah. in. And it's for three to seven year olds. And it's the story of Brave Little Bear, what he went through, what he did. Um, and then very gently speak talks about um subprotective behaviors it's mm-hmm. really gentle really easy rhymes yeah and 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 so a three to seven year old can read it and actually seven. understand it and and yeah. they can and it's to make those uncomfortable conversations a little bit more comfortable okay cool and also it helps parents know if they've actually been through anything mm-hmm. i have known somebody disclose bullying for instance in that yeah. book um and still because the only thing that it says in there is it touched me bad. Well, it could be anybody. It could be a school kid, you know. And so, so that was, that there was a, that was the start. And then um, Brave Little Bear decided he needed to write another book mm-hmm. for six to 12 or 13 year olds where yeah. it talks about online safety, fear, feelings, body consent. It's a lot more deeper. It still rhymes. But um, it's still, it, it gets the message across gets to that the message. Okay. And then, um, Brave Little Bear decided to write a brave letter to adults explaining why it's so important to teach our children these values and these um, equip them with self-protective behaviours and to um, and to know what to look for or how to... Um, so it's got 10 tips on protecting yeah. children at the back and what do you do if you suspect. So are these in schools? Where, where are these oh, now? Some schools have them. Okay. Some schools have them. Yeah. I, my heart, my vision is to see a set of these books in every primary classroom in Australia mm-hmm. um, because I think it's so important and they will change lives. I know they will. So that's my vision, yes. long-term vision. Um, so why don't we do that? Why doesn't that happen? Uh, yes. Why doesn't that happen? Why don't we talk <laughs> to a big corporate, right, my, and, and we get them to sponsor Brave Little Bear and push it out to every student in the country. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Let's look at that. Get Seriously, it. it's, it's one of those things that every kid needs to know. And um, the education system's broken anyway. So trying to get these into the education system has been a nightmare. Wow, um, it's been really hard. Um, but um, we do. We have a sponsor school program. Yep. On our website, you can just sponsor some books. And uh, you'll take them and give them to the school? Give them to, I'll post them to the school. We're kindly donated by and I put their name on it. Maybe they don't want to be known, but I send them a letter anyway, just saying yep. that this was donated by someone. And they can put it in the library. They can put it in their classrooms. I have a school in Sydney that's ordered probably about 40 books. Really? Yes. They've just reordered and reordered and yeah. reordered, um, which is really good. So that's really good. And the thing is the parents need to read this too. I think so. It's so it's not just the kids. And yep. the thing is if with a series of books I find it's really helpful if the kid reads it and then goes, hey, mum, there's one of these for you and that's the story you want to tell. Yeah, yeah. So that was The Brave Little Bear. And then so last year I because that's 2016 I started writing them. Yep. And um, last year the, the last one came out, 2018, and I decided to do a book launch in August. Mm-hmm. Just before Child Protection Week, yep. To to really launch them, and how'd and, that go? Oh, it was so good. Yeah. But the MC said to me, uh, 
the week before we'd come, we'd just come back from England. I'd gone back home for a couple of weeks just to see my family. And um, everybody asked me when my story was going to be finished. Yeah, yeah. And I said to... And you hadn't finished the book. I hadn't stage, finished it. And I'd yeah. said to Simon, you know what? I'm just going to lay it down. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yep. I just can't do it. Every time I look at it, every time I go and do it, it makes me anxious. I have to go through stuff. Every time I write anything, it brings up memories and I just can't do it. I just can't do it. So I lay it, I laid it down. And then the launch, um, the MC, which is Andy Cullen, who's written his own book. Um, he was a major in the um, armed forces mm-hmm. um, and he's got PTSD and he's written a book called Resurrected PTSD. And, yeah. and he um, was a, um, he dismantled our, um Bombs, bombs and yeah. things. So he was in the bombs disposal unit, and and he he got himself um, into he got him um, PTSD, and he was, you know, he came home and he was a bit of a mess for mm-hmm. a while. And he talks about how he's recovered and how his family reco- has recovered from this this time. And so he was my MC, and he said, "Anna, we're really excited because Zena's going to bring out her broken to be beautiful book soon, and it's her story." <laughs> and I was like. Oh, I now have to do it. Neck. <laughs> no. So, and then Ocean, who you've interviewed, yeah. he he got up. He's my publisher, so he got up and he said, "I can't wait for Zena's book." And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> so it's me. I spoke, and I was like, so he "Yeah." Forced you into finishing it. Well, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know when it's going to happen. It'll happen soon. I don't know. Um, yeah, it. Well, when it happens, it happens. I don't mm. know." And and I got home, and I was so cross. And I said to my husband, "I was like, that's it. I'm so over it. Stop." people asking me because I'm done. I just don't want to do it. And in the middle of the night, I had a bit of a nightmare. So I put some music on, which I often do just to calm myself down. Yeah. And and um, the first song that came on was a song by a girl called Francesca Bellestre. And her, the song was called Write Your Story. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Even the songstress is telling me to do it. So by the time Simon woke up the next morning, he was like, what are you doing? I was sitting there with a the laptop on my hand. I said, apparently I'm telling my story. <laughs> and then so, how long did that take to write the two second weeks. half? So six years to write the first half and two weeks to write the second half. Yep, two weeks. Of and course, then, there was all the editing and everything Oh, else. of course, of course. That's amazing. And are you excited you actually did it now? Oh, my goodness, it's exciting <laughs> so have you launched it yeah uh i haven't done an official launch we did a women's conference in february uh, where i wanted it there for and so that was kind of a mini launch yeah but i do want to do a proper launch at some stage that's amazing a true story of one woman's battle to overcome domestic violence and discover when all was stripped away what emerged was a warrior woman able to conquer her past <laughs> broken to be beautiful the forging of a warrior by Xena Princess Warrior. There you that's go. right. <laughs> that's amazing. Like, congratulations. Thank um, you. To actually get it into a book and when you physically get given the book and you sit there and go, oh, my God, that's my story. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing feeling, isn't it? It is actually, yeah. <laughs> it's something, and especially when you never thought it would happen, when you thought you were going to throw it in the bin, I'm never going to do that. No, no, no. And then <laughs> actually it just comes out. Yeah. And It was the right time. Which is amazing. Well, thanks so much for telling me your story. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I think you're an amazing woman. Thank you. And I think your story is unbelievable. And for what you've gone through and where you've bounced back to be the person you are today, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate Podcasts.